I wonder if you can um, remember a moment from your childhood uh, where you, you learned that one of your teachers at school had an actual real-life name. <laughs> I can remember one vivid experience from my own uh, teenager when I was about 16, um, and I, I was in a maths class uh, with Mr. Lewis, and uh, another teacher came in, and made the fatal mistake of going to talk to Mr. Lewis, and instead of calling him Sir or Mr. Lewis, as is the norm, accidentally called him Ed. Ed Lewis. We had the weapon at our disposal. And so she, the moment she said it, she, her face went just ashen white. She knew the mistake she made. She, she looked at Mr. Lewis and said, I'm so sorry, and then promptly scarpered. <laughs> and left him with a bunch of 16-year-old students who now knew his name. And you can imagine how that lesson went. Ed! Ed! <laughs> but a funny thing happens when you learn, well, at least it did for me at that stage, at about 16. It kind of humanized Mr. Lewis for me. Before, he was just simply a dispenser of uh, knowledge, or in my case, discipline. And... <laughs> And he was, uh, but when I learned that he was Ed Lewis, I suddenly started thinking, he's got a real name. He's actually like maybe a real person. And he's probably got cares and concerns. And at the weekend, he probably wears jeans. <laughs> and like suddenly, this kind of new way of looking at him totally transformed, uh, particularly as I was in his class the next couple of years, the way that I would relate to him. And in a similar way, Jesus, in the passage that we're going to look at today, uh, gives his listeners a chance to approach God in a new way, and in a way that would transform how they would know him and think about him and relate to him. And so if you do have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And we're, um, so feel free to turn to that in a moment. Um, we're... We're starting a new series, right at the beginning of a new series called Our Father, where we are exploring what it means to know God as uh, not just a distant God, but as our Father. And so we're going to be looking in the, the chapters of Matthew 6 and Matthew 7, um, where this is really the beginning of what we call Jesus' ministry. Um, now, you might hear that term a little bit. What it essentially means is that this is the time where Jesus is teaching and he's healing the sick and doing signs and wonders and miraculous things. And this is kind of Jesus' first big preaching gig, if you like. Um, he's, he's, made, uh, he, he's kind of got a crowd of followers because he's been healing people. They're thinking, what is this guy all about? Um, and in the context of this fairly lengthy sermon that we can read, uh, he is, he's on the side of a mountain just speaking to a bunch of people who are listening in. Um, and the bit we're going to look at is essentially God, Jesus saying, right, this is how we are to approach and think about and know God. And so we will read from uh, verses 9 and 10 of Matthew 6, and it will be on the screen just behind me. So pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now what Jesus is doing here is he is describing God and trying to build a picture of who God is to the people that are listening. Um, and so for us to get into it a bit, I want you to just forget, just for a moment, but forget everything you know about God. Okay? Done that? Good. 
worryingly easy, wasn't it? Now, imagine you are approaching God now for the first time, hearing about who he is. And let's just look at some of the words that make up the majority of this prayer. Our God is in heaven. Now, if you think about that, that actually suggests that he's quite distant. He's on a totally different plane of existence. He's in the the heavens. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. And what this is saying is that you are so blindingly brilliant and perfect, it actually makes you unapproachable. Your kingdom come. So God has a kingdom and he is the king of it. And he rules over it. He has power and authority. And pair that with your will be done. It can sound quite cold and authoritarian, kind of just like, just get it done. And so actually, just considering these words, it could be quite easy to come up with a fairly cold and distant view of who God is, couldn't it? And actually, for the people listening to Jesus on this mountainside, that would have been a lot of their understanding of who God was. Powerful, yes, but distant and quite cold and not really a knowable God. And maybe actually that is your understanding of who God is. But Jesus has come. Jesus is here. And the whole purpose of Jesus coming to earth and to start his ministry and to start proclaiming things like this is to turn that whole understanding of who God is totally on its head. That he is not a distant God, he's not a far off God, but is a God that you can know closely and know personally. And Jesus, because he's such an expert with words, literally does it in just two words. I don't know about you, but I have often thought, because this is quite a familiar prayer to us, isn't it? Well, for many of us, we will have heard about it and, and know it. It's not something that's necessarily brand new for us. When I've thought about this prayer before, I've often considered the Our Father right at the beginning as simply just like a phrase to kick us off with. A bit of a throat clearer, if you like. You've got to start somewhere. You've got to start with something. And so I've just thought, oh, our Father, you just get get that out of the way and then get into the meat of the prayer. Get into the content of what we want to say to God. But to really understand what God is saying, when he says our Father, Jesus is saying something big about God. And for us to understand that, we probably need to understand a little bit about the word father. When we think of father, we perhaps think of quite a respectful, like reverential maybe term for God and think that it's, it's, quite a, it's not a very close and warm term. Now, when Jesus, the word Jesus is using here for father is something of that, but also packaged into it is very much the intimacy of a term that for us like daddy or papa but not as childish. And so it's quite difficult because we don't have a direct, uh, direct translation. I think, for me, the closest that we can get is something like, Dad! Not Dad, but Dad! Something like that. And so for the Jewish people who are listening in, who think of God as, like, as a cold and distant God who has power, to hear him then referred to as Dad! Was not, that's not the God that they know. They do not know a God that you can approach with such warmth 
and who is so close to you. But that is exactly why Jesus is here. Jesus is not content to leave them in their current understanding of who God is. He's not content to say, well, yeah, fine, just stay like that. No, he's saying, I want you to know God like I do. I want you to get a grasp of who your God in heaven is in the way that I understand him to be. The very same God that just a few days earlier, when Jesus was baptized, as we've heard earlier, the voice of God came down from heaven to Jesus and said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. That is not the voice of a distant and cold God. And that is exactly what he says over you, Hannah. That you are his daughter, and he loves you, and he is well pleased with you. And I'm going, (laughs) excuse me. Because that is who and how God works. And Jesus is exactly the same with us. He is totally committed to us and getting us from whatever place of understanding we are of God now into a place where we experience God in a way where we feel him and hear him saying over our lives, you are my son, you are my daughter, and in you I am well pleased. That is what Jesus is all about. That is why he came. That is the message that he is shouting out and the message that he is embodying. Why, though? Why? Because if you read any of the four Gospels, Jesus is like constantly beating the father drum. He's just constantly talking about God as father. Why? Well, because God as father is not an It's not an insignificant or incidental part of who God is. It's not even a significant part of who God is. Because it is not a part of who God is at all. God is not, being a father is not part of who God is. Being a father is who God is. God is father. God is that. That is who he is. And this is quite difficult for us to get to grips with because it's quite a foreign concept that someone or anything could just be dad forever and always. Because for us and our understanding of fatherhood, it's always something you move into, isn't it? You don't, you're not born as a father, no one is. And it is, you are who you are and then something happens and you become a dad. That something isn't much of a mystery. Um, when my wife and I, we just had our child in January. So in 2016, I was not Duncan the father. But then 30th of January, Jackson was born. Now I am Duncan the father. Uh, you might be pleased to hear I don't introduce myself as such. It's the purposes, purposes of this illustration. <laughs> But God, when Jesus turned up on the scene, he didn't somehow add fatherhood to himself, a new upgrade on God, God 2.0, father edition, (laughs) now with terrible dancing. (laughs) He has and always will be father. He is our father in heaven. Heaven is the eternal realm. That is where he has always been. And to always be God the father... He must have always had a son. Well, he did. He has always had God the Son, Jesus, in heaven with him. Now, that is where he has always been. 
and where he shall forever be. There will never be a time where he will not be God the Father. And you might think, well, why does this all matter? Well, because he has eternally been God the Father. He has eternally been our dad. That means that he is entirely wired as a dad. He can't move, he can't act, he can't breathe, if God breathes, without being a dad, without doing it as a dad, without doing it with the motivation of a father. I have noticed, or I actually noticed the moment that Jackson was born, there is no way I can now look at the world in any way other than a dad. My priorities changed, the way that I perceived danger changed. You just become and you just enter into an entirely different mindset. God the Father has always had that mindset. And what that means is that when he sat down at his giant mahogany desk with a big old cup of black coffee, God's favorite drink (laughs) for planning, he sat down with his big old stretch of A3 paper, probably a bit bigger in heaven, (laughs) to plan out all of creation and all of history. How was he doing it? How was he thinking? He was thinking as a dad. He was thinking of a dad who wanted many, many children to have as his, to look after, to care for, to love, to raise, to nurture. He was thinking of us when he did it, and that he would shape everything so that he could be our dad and that we could be his children. And so when he sat down and he was designing you with your hair and your skin tone and your, uh, the way that he made you, he was doing it with all the love and the adoration and the joy of a father, thinking one day, this man, this woman, they'll be my child. And I am going to shape all of history to get myself to that point where they can be mine and they can experience and know me as the perfect, heavenly, loving Father. And here with Jesus proclaiming the message of he is your Father, he's your Dad in heaven, we are right at the beginning of the whole climax to that story. And so rather than just being a simple throat clearer, Our Father, Jesus is saying something hugely significant and powerful with those two words. What he's doing is he's just laying a whole new foundation for how we are to know and relate to God. He puts it right at the beginning of the prayer that we are to remind ourselves every time we think about God, every time we come to him, when we come to worship, we're coming not to a distant God, but we are coming to our dad in heaven. That we should know him and experience him as dad first. That should be our priority. That should be how we think of God. He's our father. We can just enjoy that and delight in that and find our place in that first and then begin to move on to, and what does that mean about this and what does that mean about that? But first, we are to approach him as father. And part of that is just a mindset thing. An active mental choice. I am just going to choose to approach you as my dad. I'm going to choose that my father is my foundation, my starting place. 
But let me just ask you a couple of questions. Is, is God the Father your starting place at the moment? When you think of God, do you immediately think, that's my dad. That's my dad in heaven. And what does the love of God the Father mean to you? I'll return to that one in a moment. But how can we know that we are children? It's all very well thinking conceptually that God is our Father. Well, this is addressed later on in the Bible in the book of Romans, where it says this, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now this phrase, Abba, Father, that's the same as the phrase that God uses in this prayer, our Father. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And what's going on here is it's saying that Jesus has come to share his sonship that he has with God the Father with all who want to join in. Jesus is saying, I am not content that it is just me that knows him as Father. I want everyone to experience all that I have. I want to spread this abroad. I want all to get a taste of this. And so, and while I have eternally known him as Father, I'm kind of naturally in. You can all join in, and you do it by receiving adoption. You can be adopted in and be part of this family. And how do we get hold of it? Well, it doesn't say you have earned this spirit of adoption. It doesn't say you have paid a high price to receive it. It doesn't say that you have worked hard so that you can be adopted in. All it says is that simply you have received the spirit of adoption. You just have to receive it. Just take it in. Just enjoy it. Totally all yours, completely free of charge, without having to do a thing, you can have it. You can know God as your Father. You can enjoy Him. You can savor Him. You can revel in Him as your dad. And if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, and so you don't yet know Him as your brother and God as your dad, well, Rick mentioned it earlier. He'll be at the find out more area after the meeting. You can go over there, have a chat, perhaps even make that step today. Because as I say, you don't have to bring anything with you. You can just receive it. That is what it means to receive the spirit of adoption. But I think there's also a second meaning to that same phrase, to receive the spirit of adoption. Because we don't always... The feeling of being a child of God and knowing the Father, and all of the the wonderful things of feeling like I am a beloved son that God is well pleased in just because I'm his son, not because of anything I've done, that feeling doesn't always live with us. We're not always in that place, are we? Um, Some of my story was someone asked me the same question that I've just asked you about a year ago. Duncan, what do you feel... Or what does the love of the Father actually mean to you? And I was about to trip off a very good, I hope, uh, theological explanation and some head knowledge before realizing that actually in my heart, in my, like what I actually believed and how I lived my life, there was a real gap. 
I didn't actually know what it was like to be loved by the Father. I didn't have a, a, a true experience in myself of, I know my dad in heaven. I don't feel like how Jesus must have felt when the Father spelt, spoke those words over him. Now, this was kind of humbling um, for me to think, wow, there's so much of God I don't understand. But also, this last year has been an amazing journey of realizing, man, there is so much more of God for me to experience. That I thought I knew God, but there was this big gap, and now I'm starting to fill it. And it hasn't always been easy as I've worked out the gaps that uh, my, my own earthly dad wasn't able to fill because just like every earthly dad, he was limited and imperfect. And so he wasn't able to perfectly show the, the love of God. And there's been some amazing moments where I've just come to a place as the spirit has worked in me and bringing the spirit of adoption just bubbling up to the surface. Where I've just been like, Dad, I am your son. You're my dad. You're my father. And I think, I think that is something of what it means at the end of this verse where it says, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's just like, yes, Dad, I know something of you. I know that you delight in me just because of who I am, just because I'm your son. And I want to encourage you, if, if you haven't had moments like that where you might even be able to identify with the idea of maybe there being a bit of a gap in your knowledge and understanding of who God the Father is. There is so much for you to experience. There's such a wonderful journey ahead for you where you can move into actually feeling the emotion and the experience of knowing your dad in heaven. And also an encouragement that, just as in my experience, it can take a little bit of time. And it may not be the quickest process in the world. But... Don't put pressure on yourself. Don't try and rush on. God has a deep well of fresh understanding of your identity and who you are and just how much you're loved ahead for you. You can continue to push into that and go after him. Because I was pretty impatient. When I noticed like an area that I want to grow in, I'm like, I want it done yesterday. I had to learn patience in this. But it is so worth the journey. Because I think all of us, for different reasons, we have this pull inside of us to actually think, yeah, you know what, the kind of God the Father stuff, I don't really need that. That's not really for me. I will quite happily take everything else of God and everything else that he has to offer. But the Father bit, nah. And there's lots of reasons for that, because in this room, there's lots of us here there'll be all sorts of different experiences of what it means to have a dad, what it means to be fathered. Some of those will be overwhelmingly positive. Some of those will be heartbreaking and really difficult. And so then there can be lots of reasons for saying, I don't know if I do want God the Father as my dad. Maybe you think, well, I, I just don't need a dad, full stop. You might think, I don't need another dad. It'd be disrespectful to my current earthly dad. Or the idea of approaching God as father is, is just too painful because of how you knew your earthly dad. But the wonderful encouragement, I think, is that 
if it really is true that God was operating and forever operates as our dad, so that when he made us and he created us just as we are, and he knows our inmost being, then what that means is that we are hardwired to receive and need the love of our perfectly, perfect heavenly father. All of us need that. There's, an, there's a deep cry in all of us. There is that cry of Abba, Father within us that if we don't approach God as Father, we'll never be satisfied. And this is for all of us because all of our parents will be imperfect in some way. All of our dads will be. All of us need to meet our dad in heaven. And if you allow yourself to receive this spirit of adoption, which it is an active choice, something can be freely offered, but you do have to choose to receive. If you do, I just know that he'll, he'll come rushing to you and meet you wherever you're at. And as this foundation of who God our Father is becomes ever stronger, and as we get first clear on he is our Father before we move on, as that becomes the ground underneath our feet, which we stand firmly on, then suddenly everything else about God starts to be shaped and transformed by that. And as we, for example, move through this prayer, we hear that he is in heaven. And he's my dad. Which means that, although it might sound like he's distant and far off, he can't be because he's my dad. That's my starting place. That's where I'm coming from. And so it must mean that if he is in heaven and the son lives where the father lives, then I must live in heaven as well. That must be where I now live. And if he has forever been in heaven and will forever be in heaven, that means that my dad will always be home. He'll never leave me. He'll never abandon me. He'll never forsake me, never unexpectedly disappear he will be there constantly forever for me. As I read that his name is to be hallowed, what might first seem as he's totally unapproachable suddenly becomes, well, of course he's still brilliant and majestic and perfect, but because I'm his son and he's my dad, he actually wants me to share in the family likeness. He wants me to look like his holiness. And so far from being unapproachable. He's my dad. Of course I can approach. And he wants to show me how I can look more like him. And finally, he's a king. My dad has a kingdom and he is the king. I am, we are, related to royalty. When we understand God as our dad first, the idea of him having power and authority and might while it might initially lead to feelings of fear, knowing that we're tucked close in with him, that fear soon turns to safety and security. We are right in with the king. And it means that we forever stand to inherit the riches and the status that children of the king do. Chris. I think it's very easy for all of us to consider ourselves distant from God and that God is a distant and cold, perhaps authoritarian God. 
But when we first get ourselves into the mindset of, no, he's our father. We approach him as a father. Every time we sing to him, every time we pray to him, we make that choice. I want to know you as father. I'm choosing to say you are my dad. Then suddenly everything else that we know and understand about him gets shaped by that. Let's worship.